Hi, this is Anishka Fernandopoli. I hope this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button under my picture on dharmaseed.org or go to my website, anushkaf.org, A-N-U-S-H-K-A-F.org, and click on donate. Thanks. I appreciate your support. Or maybe more fans showed up next time. Uh, and I would like to a little bit continue on that theme, but not in the same way as the last time. So last time we were talking about the three characteristics, um, particularly as you see manifested in sports, sports activity teams, different things like that. <clears throat> Mostly any Dharma talk that has a theme is just an excuse to talk about the Dharma. So whether or not you relate to the team, it's going to be kind of the same thing I'll talk about, <laughs> whether it's talking about uh, sports or traffic or education or whatever, you know, the news. Um, so this time I'd like to talk to you a little bit about the uh, looking at the path that we're on, particularly the path of meditation, the path of Dharma, the Eightfold Path, uh, as a path of mind training. And mind training meaning uh, something very much akin to the path of physical training that many of us take up at different points in our life. So you can see people doing physical training at different levels. And if you've been watching the World Cup, you see people who are extremely fit athletes who have trained to a very high level and who are now playing for uh, very intense uh, periods of time, especially if you go into overtime and all that stuff, right? Um, And are exhibiting an extremely high level of fitness. But I think there was a period of time in which uh, in the U.S. or generally in the world, there was an idea like, oh, those people are special people. But the rest of us, you know, we are not going to be able to do that. And then I think maybe the 60s, 70s started to develop an idea that actually exercise is good for all of us. So whether or not you aspire to be on some national team or Olympics, that actually physical fitness is beneficial for us all. And then there came up with different prescriptions for that, like for average person to do some aerobic exercise three times a week or something like that. Then it got increased to five times a week or you know, this many minutes or whatever. And it doesn't even matter what you do to some extent, cycling or running or yoga or this or that. Right. So what I'd like to propose to you uh, through this talk is that the same thing is true about the mental field. And there's actually something that we could consider as mental training, uh, which in fact we're always engaged in, whether we know it or not. And that as people who have come to the Dharma, you have a great opportunity to engage in a very intentional path of mental training, not just when you're sitting meditation, but actually to hold that perspective on your whole life, to observe how that's playing out and to guide that in an intentional way uh, that will lead to the highest levels of happiness for yourself, uh, that will lead to liberation, uh, and that will actually lead to a, a place from which there's actually no falling back which does not seem to be true about physical fitness. (laughs) So you could pay attention for a moment to just the way that you're sitting, you know, naturally. You don't need to adjust in any particular way, like we're not doing a special sitting posture now. But you can just notice anything, like even now I notice, okay, my legs are crossed like this, and uh, one foot is bent back, and one foot the toe is out, and the posture of the back, and how your hands are. So however you happen to be sitting is probably the result of some habitual way that you have sat in the past. And is also a reflection of 
what particular muscles tend to be stronger in your body, tend to hold you up, and which ones might be weaker. It might be the result of some series of injuries that you've had in your life, something about the way that you're sitting. It might be even the result of certain um, genetic patterns that are there for you, like a tendency to strengthen certain areas or a tendency to flexibility in certain areas. Also, it could be the result of certain kinds of conditioning, like women are supposed to sit like this, or uh, if you're uh, going to project strength, you should sit like this. So all kinds of things playing into how our physical body is, even in the very common thing of just sitting here. And then as you sit in that particular posture, you reinforce those positions. You know, you're actually strengthening those muscles uh, through the posture that you're in. So then that continues that groove in some way. So this is true anything that we do. So even when we're walking, uh, you've noticed people have different kinds of gait that they walk in. And uh, one way you can notice this more um, obviously sometimes is when you see the way that shoes get worn down. Sometimes towards the inside, sometimes towards the outside, like that. Uh, and you can notice how the pattern of walking with more weight on the outside and more weight towards the inside influences uh, and continues to orient that person towards doing that more and more. So sometimes you can see that on, you know, if you're riding an escalator and someone's feet are at your eye level, you see it's very worn down one way or the other. And the person may or may not actually know that about the way that they walk. But of course, the more you walk, say, on the inside, you wear it down, then you lean more to the inside, and so on. So you can go home and check your shoes out when you uh, see, or after the meditation. So similarly, we have different mental patterns that are there all the time. You know, we have different, different mental patterns that are there, both of emotions, of thoughts, and even on a more subtle level of different qualities of mind. And these are always being cultivated in one way or another, in ways that we may or may not be paying attention to. So why is this helpful and important to consider? So the Buddha, uh, in the the Dhammapada, famous opening sentence of this uh, Dhammapada, this particular work is, a mind is the forerunner of all things. Act and speak with an impure mind or unwholesome mind, and suffering will follow as surely as the wheel of the ox cart follows the ox. Mind is a forerunner of all things. Act and speak with a pure mind, with a wholesome mind, and happiness will follow you like your never departing shadow. So a lot of the teachings in the Buddhist uh, path are about paying attention to the mind, the way that the mind is being cultivated. In the aspects of the Eightfold Path, it's about uh, right effort is defined as observing what is the state that's arising. Is this actually a wholesome or unwholesome state? Skillful or unskillful is another translation of that. Uh, if it's skillful, to continue to cultivate that along. If it's unskillful, to try to abandon that. And then to try to understand what are the conditions that lead towards skillful, unskillful states arising. This whole framework of wholesome, unwholesome, pure, impure, skillful, unskillful definitely you know, can rub people the wrong way. Uh, so especially if they've run away from some religion that they feel like is very judgmental. 
I'm going to assume if you all come to meet in this giant church, you are not so allergic to such religions, but maybe you are still. Uh, the idea with this, this division, which is really clearly there in the Buddhist teaching, is that there are actually certain states of mind, there are certain qualities of mind that are actually conducive to seeing clearly and that are conducive to happiness, that are conducive to acting in a way that is actually aligned with the truth of our interconnection. And then there are other states that arise from our misunderstanding, from delusion. And these are states that, when enacted, actually cause suffering to ourselves and others. So on the positive side here, you have such states as generosity and kindness and uh, qualities of mind also, even like concentration uh, can be one of those wholesome, possibly wholesome ones if it's right concentration. Loving kindness, equanimity. And then on the unwholesome side, we have such as uh, jealousy, revenge, hatred, and so on. And in the meditation practice, we're cultivating different states of mind. Among them, including are the qualities of mind, such as mindfulness, like awareness, knowing what's happening. We're cultivating the quality of collectedness versus distraction. Um, we're cultivating also, you know, through our the the way that we're practicing, uh, knowing what's here in the moment. So that's the instruction I give about you know paying attention to the quality of attention. Uh, it's something akin to that of like noticing: is there a way in which we're developed some uh, relationship of antagonism towards what's happening in experience? And that can happen sometimes, you know, especially if we use a main object like the breath which is actually a technically useful thing to do. But then sometimes we can get into a conflict where it's like, oh, all I should be feeling is a breath, and if I have a thought or emotion, it's wrong. So I will hate that thought or emotion and bludgeon it out and then <laughs> grab back to the breath. Right? So actually the, the breath is just a tool for us to develop some collectiveness of mind and through which we can see all of the different aspects of uh, how things are. But we can be present with whatever there is. So whatever thought, whatever emotion uh, is totally fair game for our practice. And in fact, it's very helpful to develop the ability to open to everything that comes through in the mind-body system. Because if it's showing up here while you're sitting in meditation, even if you think like, oh, I never feel jealous or I never feel uh, irritated or something like that, I bet it shows up at other times in your life, but you may or may not be paying attention in the same way. So when stuff comes up that's a surprise, then be particularly interested in it. Notice if there's a struggle with it. Notice if you want to push it away. uh, And then get interested in really knowing this, knowing this mind state, like knowing and understanding uh, what this is. Like, what does this feel like in the body? What are the thoughts that are arising? So this is a way of getting to know, you know, Yourself, I'll use that in quotes, right? The, this mind-body system in some way. Like, what are the habitual thoughts that come through? You know, get to know those and see that they arise just habitually in some way. So different circumstances might cause uh, various thoughts to arise for you. So, um, for example, I remember I used to um, have this thought arise whenever I would start to get sick. Uh, I didn't like being sick, of course. And then, uh, you know, when I had, like, nasal congestion, it lasted a really long time. And there always would be a thought at some point during having a cold that would be like, this is going to last forever. 
And it never did last forever, you know, but the thought would always arise, like, this is going to last forever. And if I believed that thought, that would be very depressing. And, uh, you know, then not only was I congested, but congested and depressed, right? <laughs> and then I started to notice, like, oh, it's, just, it's some habitual thought for whatever reason. It's like a habitual reaction to some ongoing physical sensations like this. So I just started to see it come up as like an old, you know, old recording or something, old friend, old recording, that I didn't have to take that seriously. Uh, and in fact, almost comical, like how, uh, how reliable it's showing up would be. <laughs> you know? uh, so when you start to see some of those patterns like that, you can see through the, the trance that we're in about thoughts being absolutely true and every thought being ourself and everything that wanders through our mind is what we need to believe and act on and inhabit, you know. So this is the path of, of mental training. And, you know, the first step of cultivating mindfulness, awareness, what's here, is the one that often is emphasized the most because it is the most unusual dimension, I would say, uh, of Buddhist meditation. But then there really is this, uh, this point at which there is some discernment. You know, there's discernment necessary about the different thoughts and emotions and mind states that go through the system. Sort of starting to see like, which ones lead towards happiness, which one leads towards suffering. Like, which ones seem to be based in some wisdom and which ones seem to be based in delusion. And then through that, you can start to develop more and more wisdom uh, as well. So this is kind of like you know, the wearing out of the shoe, too in a good way. <laughs> you know, we're down the shoe in the direction of wisdom. Right? And it takes uh, training. So not just in the 15 minutes, half an hour, 45 minutes, one hour that you do your meditation practice. Zero. I'll include zero as a possibility. Right? <laughs> in a daily way. Right? 30 seconds. Um, but also just generally, like you're standing at the bus stop, like pay attention to what your mind is up to. You know? Like what's your relationship to the people around you? ignoring them, hating them, falling in love with them, a uh, variety of that, right? What's your relationship to the existence or non-existence of Muni at this moment? <laughs> like irritation, hatred, patience, uh, long tirades in your mind, you know? Like what's going on? And uh, is that actually a helpful thing to cultivate, whatever that is? Right? Is it making the Muni come any faster? <laughs> You know, what, what is going on in the mind and what are the patterns? What is actually being cultivated at this time? You know, what is the training that you're engaged in? So uh, you, many of you may have practiced some of the loving-kindness meditation or metta meditation uh, or compassion meditation, something like that. And this is also a very skillful way of cultivating, intentionally training the mind and the heart. And mind and heart here is used uh, actually synonymously um, to know this possible place to go that's actually one of uh, kindness, one of well-wishing. And it's a, a radical thing to develop. It's a, a rare thing to develop that as a possibility. Or cultivating the state of uh, appreciative joy, so mudita. So this mudita is a state of being happy at someone else's happiness. It's such an unusual one, there's not even a good name for it you know, in uh, English. So, for example, for those of you who are watching the soccer today, who are U.S. soccer fans, uh, you might have had some dejection at the loss of your team, but 
Perhaps we can also be happy for the people of Belgium. You know. This is like a very radical sports fan flip to do. This is like advanced spiritual practice, right? So it's like, look, they only have 15 million people in their country, and you know, they haven't had that many like big deal things happen to them in a long time. We win so much at the Olympics. Like, oh, so good. They, you know, what else? They have chocolate. They have comics. But like, look, now they won. They got into the quarterfinals. We can be happy for them, right? Must be so much happiness in that country right now. Right? <laughs> so you know, it's possible to do this. It's this, you know, a bit of a comical one, but it's like, oh, is, is it possible to have that that spirit of uh, of joy, of kindness, of uh, and train the mind in this way? You know, train train the mind and heart in this way. And when it's not doing that, then notice what it feels like and how bad it feels to uh, have the opposite. You know, if there's jealousy or. Uh, rage or hatred of something, irritation. Pay attention to what that feels like in the mind. Because basically the reason that we cultivate these other states like rage or hatred or irritation is because we don't notice they're not good to cultivate. You know, like We don't notice that it actually is like uh, a painful, suffering thing to do. And the, the suffering that follows, you know, like this wheel of the ox cart uh, following the hooves of the ox. So this metaphor, in case you don't know, so there's like an ox and it has a yoke on it, you know, sort of like a wooden thing like this, and then it's attached to a cart. So, you know, say if the ox turns this way, the cart might continue a little bit this way, but then eventually it's going to turn that way because it's yoked, it's tied to the ox, right? Uh, so this is what's true also about these unwholesome states, is like you don't always immediately notice. You could notice immediately in the mind that it's difficult, it's a state of agitation, uh, but it's basically like, oh, this is going to swing around. <laughs> like, you can count on it. This is going to swing around, and that's going to be not not pleasant for you at some point. The other metaphor that's interesting about the never-departing shadow is like, uh, you know, the shadow is like stuck to you, basically. You know, there's no distance between you and your shadow, you know, when the light is on. And, in fact, you can't get away from it. You know, sometimes little kids play a game where they try to dance around and escape the shadow, and it's impossible while there's still light. You know, for that to happen. So from these different states, then immediately in the mind there's a gladdening, but also this is actually planting seeds for that to be able to come up more often in the future. So what I'd like to point out is that we're always cultivating something. We're always cultivating something. We might be cultivating distraction. you know. Um, and notice how the activities that we do and how we structure our life train our mind in one way or the other. So uh, these days, um, you know, like multitasking is a popular thing to do. Uh, and I'd like to suggest to pay attention if you're like multitasking, like how that is working out, both for the immediate results of what you're trying to achieve, reading the mail and talking to your partner and watching TV and checking the internet right, at the same time. Uh, and what is the effect it seems to have on the mind, too? So people often go on meditation retreats and then they're like very frustrated that their mind is not settling. You know, they're not able to collect the mind. And it's like, you know, it's, it's really the result of the way that we live our lives. You know? And the world is not really oriented towards helping you to collect your mind. <laughs> right? There's a kind of a barrage of different sensations going on or things calling for your attention and uh, advertising and phone calls and email and stuff. So you actually have to orient yourself, just in the same way you have to orient yourself to doing physical exercise, uh, to 
finding what the conditions are that will cultivate your mind in the way that you want it to go. So now these days it's um, popular for people to have uh, like little digital devices that will help them to know how much they've exercised. Some of you perhaps have them right now. And uh, yes, your Fitbit, whatnot, right? Little digital assistant telling you how many steps you've taken or this or that, right? So sometimes when I present this idea of, you know, considering mental training, uh, you know, some people are like, um, but how do I keep score of this? Uh, Like, it's very easy in sports to keep score of things, or, you know, even just physical fitness. Now my my Fitbit thingy tells me how many steps I've taken, and it tells me if I've succeeded or failed each day, and, you know, it's very gratifying for the quantified self-movement to, you know, be able to follow this. But, like, how do I tell if my mind is being cultivated in some good way or not? Why didn't someone invent a Fitbit for this or something, right? So actually, that's what meditation is. <laughs> you know? And the immediate feedback that you can get is actually around uh, dukkha, so around suffering, around the, the uh, experience that you have, you know, the experience that you have, and also important to notice the experience that others have uh, from interactions with you. So the feedback system is kind of built into the Eightfold Path. And uh, uh, there are people who try to develop these different things. It's like, oh, for meditation, put these electrodes on, and it'll tell you if you're getting calm or not. But, you know, to me, it's like, no, that's the point of meditation. Like, you, you're trying to notice this stuff, you know. <laughs> you're trying to become your own Fitbit, right? <laughs> you're trying to develop awareness itself. Uh, and, and these are actually qualities of mind. These are also qualities on the path to help you. Concentration is one that there's a little bit more uh, possibility of uh, sort of keeping score. You know, like how many breaths was I able to follow fully before, you know, the mind wandered off? Or if you're doing metta, like how many cycles of phrases or something like that. So you can get a little bit more, you know, gratification with that. And then if you get into jhana practice, you get like uh, this sort of like uh, high score, video game scores, different jhanas you get into or whatever, right? Um, but overall, a lot of it is just much more of a sort of organic thing. You know, and the orientation is to pay attention in each moment to what's happening so that you can actually adjust in each moment. So sometimes this, um, this orientation also can give people a little bit of uh, trepidation because they're like, oh, you know, before I just thought I had to go to the gym and now you're saying I have to pay attention all the time and now like to deal with the training of the mind, just like exercise, which is already such a kind of drag in my life, and go in the stupid elliptical thingy, and, you know. So I'd like to suggest that it's, it's actually an uh, orientation we can have towards having uh, fun with it, you know, with the quality of interest of observing the mind in the different activities that we do. Like play, you know, observing the habits of the mind, observing the emotions that come up. And you can do some tracking, even sort of like journal-type tracking. You know, like, what were the major mind states that came up for you today? Uh, What were the ones that seemed to sink you, that you just kind of got lost in? Or what were the things that obsessed you? You What were the things that you felt really caught by? So you can actually start to track those things and pay attention. Like, what are the patterns here that are there? What are the conditions that lead to me being completely knocked off balance and losing it. Right. Uh, both in my own experience, but also with someone else. 
also paying attention to our interactions with others. So when are the times that we acted in some way that we regret? And what was the causes for that? So in that way, you, you do actually have a lot of statistics you can track if you're oriented in that way. You know, um, A lot of sports these days are about like, detailed tracking of statistics of players and runs batted in and earned run average and this and that, right? Or in the World Cup, they have like shots on goal and shots and saves and stuff. So if you're into that kind of thing, you actually could create your own score sheet and sort of track, track your mental states, right? But primarily I'd say like it's, a, it's, a, it's something that's helpful to do just because it's happening anyway. You know, just like your physical fitness, your physical muscles are the way that you're training your physical body is happening anyway. Your mental training is happening anyway. Yeah. And it's happening usually just around reactivity or around you know, continuing to play out the habits of conditioning. Uh, some of them from childhood, some of them from more recent. Right? So you might as well pay attention. You might as well have some uh, possible intervention in that to kind of lead things in the direction that you want them to go. So the last thing I'll say about this is the provocative thing I said in the end about, you know, this, the, or, sorry, in the beginning about this idea you can actually get to some place of no falling back. And that does not seem to be true of physical fitness. In fact, it seems like things go the other direction with physical fitness. Right? <laughs> There's a you know, constant uh, development that's needed and atrophy of muscles. And then as you get older, it gets harder to stay in shape too and stay flexible and all this stuff. The mind, the mind and heart are different. This is good news, right? The mind and heart are different than the physical body. And don't necessarily have to decay in some way, right, with age. Some aspects of cognitive functioning do. But what I'm talking about is the arising of different mind states, right, different states of the heart and mind. And that does not necessarily have to get worse as it goes along. But it is easier to cultivate those things when you have the energy and when you have uh, the clarity of mind to be able to do that intentionally. So you can see people sometimes in, in who are very young and who are very old, and it's sort of like, okay, they're too young to be able to cultivate this, like two, three-year-olds, you know, four-year-olds. They're just totally playing out their mind states as they arise in the moment, complete technicolor, vivid, shouting, right, no holes barred, this and that. Uh, and, it, you know, there's little exercise you can do as they get older to give them some sense of like, oh, okay, if you get mad, you can count to ten or, you know, take a time out or something like that, right? But it's hard when they're very small. Then also when people get quite old, it's difficult too, you know? And you can see that the patterns of mind, the habits of mind have sort of played out in some way. So even when cognitive function seems to have decayed, there do seem to be patterns of like who seems to be more cheerful and loving, right? Even when they're senile and who seems to be like, uh, habitually cranky. So you can pay attention to now to like, what kind of old person do you want to be if you get that far, <laughs> you know? And engage in the mind training now, you know. And now means like not just here in the meditation, but you know when you're at work, when you're with your family, when you wake up in the morning, right? Track that, like what's happening, what's going on. And the promise of this path is that there is a possibility of, through wisdom, uh, through insight, that certain unwholesome mind states can be uprooted. 
that it's actually possible to uh, develop the mind and the heart in the way so that there get to be uh, things that will not arise anymore. Right? Wisdom is developed to this extent. Uh, so that there's actually kind of guardrails that uh, are there. There's a purification. It's about purification of mind. So even if the physical body is impossible to be purified, uh, that it's possible for actually our mind and heart to be purified in some way. And as that happens, then we lead a happier, more easeful life. We have uh, sort of insurance about whatever happens in the external world. You know, we're able to kind of go with it uh, in a better way. And we actually become uh, easier to, to be around, too, for others, too. So step onto the upward spiral of mind training. That's my uh, message for you there. So thank you for your attention to the Dhamma. And we have a few minutes if there's any questions or comments you want to make. Are you convinced? Yeah. Yeah. Can you give an example of one? Yeah, that's a good question. So how do you how do you experience it without letting it define your experience? Like what's the basically a good way to work with that if anger arises about something? So that's where I think like the you know the middle path is talked about a lot in uh, Buddhist practice. And one interpretation of that for this case is like not repressing it, like pushing it away or pretending that you're not angry, but also not indulging it. So not like over, uh, sort of over dramatizing it or blowing it out at someone or something like that. So actually recognizing that all these different states are these energetic movements. They're kind of like energetic weather patterns that move through. So awareness can meet that, can know that as that moves through, uh, and allow it to sort of allow yourself to recognize that to be with it, but neither to push it away nor indulge it. And then, if you are getting obsessed by and driven by that, then feel what that feels like. You know, like know what that feels like to be uh, basically uh, you're you're at that point like enslaved by that. You know, like that it owns you. You know, like. Uh, like feel the difficulty of that, uh, and then see like oh what's what's this like like what is what am I about to do here with the, from this right? If you can, it's always good to. Uh, and here's where the precepts are good too. You know, having like different, basically vows that you've taken when you're not angry <laughs> about how you want to deal with other human beings and yourself. You know, so it's like okay, I'm not going to yell at people or something. Like this. Okay, so then it's like all right, I want to yell at someone, but. Here it is. I'm going to sit in my sofa and be with this. Look at that. Like, you know, I'm picking up the baseball bat, but I'm putting it down, right? You know, just like whatever, you know, just being with that at whatever level. And then sometimes you're going to do something that you will regret, and then you see what that is. Like, see how that plays out. See how that has affected yourself and your relationship with another person. And uh, I mean, I think for many, many people, like, we go through these cycles like that, and a lot of the world is basically like, people playing out 
different patterns, basically being enslaved by different mind states and acting them out, and uh, then the results ensue. You know, uh, including like a lot of violence that happens in our in our city, in our country, right, um, over and over again. So, the possibility of having some space from that is incredibly radical and transforming, like both for ourselves individually and for our society. You know, like the possibility of like interrupting that cycle of habituation. Yeah, in some ways, that's the whole the whole path. Is exactly what you're uh, describing. Is like, you know, in some pithy way, the teachings of the the Buddhist path is like, uh, you know, do good, avoid what is <laughs> unwholesome, and cultivate your mind. So that's what we're talking about. So then it's like, oh, okay, you can do all those things. Like when something difficult comes up, try not to get enslaved by that in some way. Uh, at the same time, for example, there's all these times during our lives when. Uh, we're not really doing any mental cultivation. So, for example, sitting at the Muni stop, it's like, what's the mind up to? You know, what's the relationship to others? So, if I'm not having to actually do something intellectual with my mind in some ways, uh, like, why not train it in having some attitude of kindness towards other people around? You know, sense of gentleness, generosity, right? So it's like, oh, what if I actually just like wish well for the people around me? It's like a crazy radical thing. Wish well for people at the mini stop, you know. <laughs> right. Like why not? They don't have to know. It's like it's a good thing to do. And it's one of those things where like, oh, it seems like I'm wishing well for others, but at the same time I'm actually making myself quite happy, you know, happier than if I was just sitting here looking at my watch for when the muni's coming. Right. Um, so that that kind of thing is like a cultivation of wholesome qualities, as well as just even noticing, you know, cultivation of concentration, um, cultivating presence, you know, all of those different things. And even in simple things, just noticing, like when you're having conversation with someone, like how often does my attention go away, right? Or is it with certain people I'm more attentive and certain people I'm not? And like, what's up with that? Right? So there's many different creative ways to uh, work with this, and. Uh, that's kind of part of the fun of uh, the practice, too. It's like, uh, there are many different suggestions, and in some ways, like, I think the Buddha talked for, like, 45 years, a whole myriad of suggestions, many of which are, are actually completely applicable to us here today, you know. Uh, and then it's like, you have to put it into play in your own life, you know. So we do the training, and then it's like, life is on the playing field. It's like, you don't know what that person's going to say to you, or... You don't know what's going to happen next. And then it's like you put it into practice and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't and then you learn from it and go on. So with that kind of approach of, of a mind training and then of it in some ways being like a game and not necessarily a game that you have to like, you will win or lose, but a game that is fun, like from which there's a lot of creativity possible uh, and uh, some sense of, uh, yeah, of play, then it can become a much more... Uh, juicy, interesting endeavor than just push to like the 15 minutes or half an hour that you sit on your cushion every day. So with that, I think uh, we're at the end of our time. So thank you so much for your attention. And uh, yeah, I'm happy to see
Any of you want to come to Monday Night uh, Dharma? And uh, I have a Dharma website, anushkaf.org. Uh, I think it's linked on your webpage at Mission Dharma. So uh, there you can find various talks. And if you want to follow me around, you can do that. And uh, <laughs> sign up for Facebook updates, all that stuff. So, so thank you and enjoy your path of mind training. And thank you also in advance for your generosity to support both uh, this group and also for supporting uh, my ability to teach in this way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. So, yeah, she uh, also works from Sri Lanka, Burma, Thailand. 